It's called Famous Last Words. And these are the final words of Jesus. He, um, according to the scriptures, was crucified at the third, starting at the third hour, which is in the morning, sometime uh, after 9 o'clock in the morning. And uh, the crucifixion was done, and his body was removed about the ninth hour, which would have been in the afternoon, about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So, so at the most, he was hanging on the cross about six hours from nine in the morning to three in the afternoon. It could have been less than that because their time was not uh, very accurate. When they talk about hours, sometimes it's a, a, a window of several hours that you have there. But um, at the most, it was six hours that he was hanging upon the cross. If you knew that you had six hours to live, like right now, it's almost 11 o'clock. And if, if you knew that you were going to be dead by 5 o'clock this afternoon, that these were your final six hours, uh, what words would you say? What would you talk about? Now, you might spend some time talking about sports, although that could be discouraging, too, talking about sports. Uh, you might talk about the weather, although you're really not concerned about the weather tomorrow because you're not going to be around tomorrow. So you might talk about some things like that, but, but my, my guess would be that would not be your main focus, that that would not be the, the real important things that you would talk about. Uh, my guess would be that you would want to spend time with the ones that you love most and that you would want to talk about those things that matter the most, that you would want to say those things that are the most important. And those other things that, you know, are good and that you enjoy, but they're not really on top of the important list. And so you, you kind of skim over those and forget about those and get right to the heart of the matter and get to the, the important matters. And I think that's what we see in Jesus. Jesus, as he was hanging on the cross, knew that this was his end, that he only had hours left to live. And you look at the, the things that he said upon the cross and they're significant, and they're meaningful, and they're important. And, and Jesus was communicating something to us as he was hanging upon the cross. So we're going to look over the next seven weeks, we're going to look at the seven sayings that Jesus said, that Jesus spoke from the cross in his final hours in this lifetime. So today we're going to look at, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's Luke 23, of verse 34. It's a reminder about forgiveness, and that we should forgive others as Jesus forgives. Jesus is the epitome of forgiveness. He is the perfect example of forgiveness, and, and we need to forgive as Jesus forgives. So uh, let's start with the, uh, the necessity of forgiveness, the need for forgiveness. If you look at our text in uh, Luke 23, 34, it says, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Almost every word is vital, is important, and is significant, and, and adds meaning to the text, to the short phrase. Uh, every word is important. So the necessity of forgiveness is, is bound up in the what. What is it that they did? What is it that needed to be forgiven? What did they do to Jesus 
that the Father needed to forgive them for, that Jesus needed to pray for them, that they don't they do not know what they did. Well, what is it that they did? What did they do that necessitates forgiveness? That is the necessity of forgiveness. That is the what question that we're going to ask. What is it that they did that was so bad? Well, you guys know the details of the crucifixion, but let me rehearse them for you just a little bit, uh, just to remind you of what Jesus had gone through the last uh, 12 hours before his crucifixion, just uh, from, the, from the previous evening. You remember the previous evening he had met together with his disciples and Judas dismissed, or, or Jesus dismissed Judas. Judas left to betray Jesus. So Jesus was betrayed by his own beloved disciple for 30 pieces of silver. The authorities came back later in, in that night, probably like at nine o'clock or so in the evening. Jesus was with his disciples uh, out in the Garden of Gethsemane praying and the Roman soldiers show up to arrest him. Jesus, the perfect son of God, the innocent human being. All he did was go around and heal people and speak to people and forgive people and better people's lives. That's all he did his whole, his whole life, his whole ministry. Never did anything wrong, never hurt anybody. Never did anything sinful. And yet the Roman authorities come to arrest him while he's praying in a garden at 9 o'clock at night. Well, they took him from there and they took him to the high priest, the, the high priest to examine him, uh, both Annas and Caiaphas. While he was at the high priest, the scriptures tell us what happened. They spat on his face. They beat him. Others struck him with the palms of their hands, saying, prophesy to us, Christ, who is the one who struck you? These are the religious leaders. These are the, the Jewish leaders, the priest and his people, the high priest and the other priests. They accused Jesus, the perfect one, the holy son of God. They accused him of blasphemy for speaking the truth. Because he told the truth about who he was and what he was doing, they accused him of blasphemy and they mistreated him in this way. They hated him so much. They spat in his face. They beat him. They struck him with their hands. They mocked and ridiculed him as he was being held at the high priest's house. During that night, he was kept in a small little cold, lonely dungeon, little basement in the bottom of Caiaphas's house. He spent the night there in that cold little room in solitary confinement as they uh, hurriedly gathered together the other priests so they could have a rushed trial, a fake trial. They already knew what was going to happen. They already knew what the verdict was going to be, but they had to have the pretense of a trial. And so while they were gathering together all their friends and, and hiring false witnesses to lie about Jesus, Jesus was spending the night in that cold, dark basement dungeon under Caiaphas's house. Then early in the morning, as soon as they could, they brought him to Pilate, the Roman governor. And uh, Pilate sent, them to, sent him to Herod. Pilate said, nothing's wrong with this guy, so Pilate sent him to Herod. Herod sent him back. He said, I don't know what to do with this guy. I'm going to send him back to Pilate. And so Pilate had to choose. He had to decide. He had to figure out what to do with Jesus. And he knew he was innocent. He knew this was all a setup. But Pilate had to do something. So, so finally, Pilate had to turn him over. He tried to release Barabbas, uh, or he tried to make the crowd choose between Barabbas and Jesus, thinking that maybe they would choose Jesus, but they didn't. 
They chose Barabbas, and so he still had to make his choice. And so he finally washed his hands of it, said, I know this is an innocent man. I don't want his blood on my hands, but I have to turn him over for crucifixion. He turned him over to his Roman soldiers. His Roman soldiers then, they twisted a crown of thorns, and they put it on his head. They took a reed in his right hand. They bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spat on him. They took the reed and struck him on the head. The Jewish leaders, they hated Jesus. They've been after him for a long time. They were, they've been trying to get him for years, ever since he started his public ministry. You remember way back at the beginning of his public ministry, he went into the temple and overthrew the, the, the tables in the temple. So they didn't like him very much. They've been trying to get him for, for three years. They finally turned him over to the Romans, and the, and the Romans were going to crucify him. The Romans didn't know Jesus. They didn't care about Jesus. They didn't hate Jesus. But they're like a wild caged animal. You let the wild animal out, it's going to attack because that's what wild animals do. And so the, the Roman soldiers were being cruel and mean to Jesus, even though they didn't know him. They didn't care about him. They didn't hate him. But hey, if, if we're going to crucify him, we can do whatever we want. And so like wild animals out of a cage, they, they mock Jesus. They ridicule Jesus. They torture Jesus. They put a crown of thorns on his head and then reed in his hand and then beat him with, the own reed, with his own reed. It also said he was whipped with a cat of nine tails, a, a leather whip with... Um, Sharp pieces of glass or metal on the end of them was used to, to rip into Jesus' flesh and beat his back. That's what the Romans did to Jesus before they crucified him. Then they laid his own cross beam upon his, his own beaten back and bloody back, and they made him carry it to the hill upon which they would crucify him. They nailed him on that cross. They lifted that cross up and um, set it into the ground, and there... He hanged upon the cross. And it, the first words that he uttered upon that cross, the first words were, Father, forgive them, for they do not know not what they do. Yeah, there was a need for forgiveness there. They had treated him terribly. This was the worst injustice in all of human history. Now, perhaps other people have suffered as much. I can't imagine going through that suffering. I'm thankful that I've never had to go through suffering like that. But, but I'm sure others have endured suffering. The Romans crucified a lot of people, so a lot of people have been crucified on the cross. I'm sure other people have suffered similarly. But nobody has suffered so unfairly, with so much injustice. Jesus, the all-powerful Son of God, who is perfect and holy, and all he had to do was say the word, and he could have been free from that torture, from that pain, from that suffering. He could have said the word and he could have stepped down from that cross. He could have called 10,000 angels to come and to put the Romans on that cross that he just stepped down from. He could have done all that. He had the power to do that. But he willingly suffered and died. The worst case of injustice in all of history. Other people uh, who suffer greatly, um, even though you're innocent, even though you don't deserve to suffer that much, we all have a little bit of guilt, don't we? There, there's something in us that says, you know, in some way we, we do deserve some suffering because we're sinners. We have brought some of this on ourselves because we're sinners. No matter, no matter how uh, innocent we are, we're not completely innocent. But Jesus is completely innocent. And yet he suffered so much. The worst miscarriage of justice. That is what they did to Jesus. And it wasn't, it wasn't later on that Jesus said, Father, forgive them. 
It was right at the beginning. It was, it was in the midst of the pain and suffering. Um, you guys know how it is, don't you, that if, if you endure a wrong, if somebody wrongs you, you, you suffer. Um, it's hard to forgive at first, isn't it? And, and with time, sometimes it can become easier. If you're able to uh, move on from that hurt, if you're able to um, you know, heal from those wounds, if just, if just time passes and you focus on other things instead of that past hurt, and, and God gives you strength, and God gives you peace, and God gives you comfort. Uh, you just you get to the point where eventually it becomes a little bit easier to forgive. Well, Jesus didn't have the, the benefit of time. He didn't wait for forgiveness. In the midst of his suffering, while he was hurting, while the blood was still flowing from his wounds, while they were still inflicting pain and suffering on him, while they were gloating with his suffering. In fact, the very text, the very verse it says that they were dividing his garments as his feet, as he was hanging there, and as he was saying, Father, forgive them, the Roman soldiers were dividing his garments and casting lots to see who got the, the expensive one. Because the nice expensive one, you, you didn't want to tear that up and divide it among the soldiers. You, you only wanted one person to get it. Well, they had to cast lots to see who was the one person to get it. And they were doing that while he was suffering. Imagine what that was like. One pastor described it this way. He said, just imagine, imagine that you witness a terrible accident and that, that somebody is mortally wounded in the accident and they're laying out there in the middle of the road, dying, bleeding and dying. And you rush to their side to, to, to see if there's any way you can help them. But you see uh, that there's, there's really no hope. They're, they're laying there, they're, they're dying. They'll, they'll be dead in, in moments and the... Rescue workers are just, you know, too many minutes away that won't be there soon enough. And you see they're dying and, and other onlookers come and you have uh, three guys around this uh, poor person laying there on the on the street dying until the three people look down. They see that there's no hope for this poor person. And they say, hey, look, this this guy has a Rolex watch on his wrist. It's worth thousands well, we, we can't just take that, that uh, Rolex, Rolex watch and divide it up between three onlookers. So only one of us gets it. So um, uh, let's play rock, paper, scissors and see who gets it. See who gets the Rolex watch off of this poor person who's dying there. On the, I mean, you can't even imagine that. Can you? Nobody would do that because that's just pure evil, because that's just pure selfish and wrong. You, you can't even imagine somebody doing that. Well, that's it. Basically, what the Roman soldiers were doing at the foot of the cross with Jesus' garments. And that's in, in the context of him praying. As he prayed, Father, forgive them. That The pain was still going on. The mistreatment was still going on. They were still being cruel and ruthless to him as he was crying out for forgiveness. So yes, there was a need for forgiveness. That is exactly what they had done to him. And they needed the forgiveness that Jesus prayed for. That is the necessity of forgiveness. That is the what. The next we're going to look at the object of forgiveness. That is, is more the who. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. So you look at that word them. Well, who is it that he's forgiving? And again, it seems like a simple question, a simple answer, but uh, it actually gets a little bit um, in-depth. There's some, some theological intricacies to this answer. Who offended Jesus and who was he praying for? Well, there are two groups predominantly. 
And I mentioned that. And the two groups predominantly that were there at the cross that Jesus was praying for, that had sinned against Jesus, uh, they were, first of all, the, the Jewish leaders. The Jewish leaders were there, the priests, they were there. And uh, they had sinned against Jesus for, for years, for three years. They hated Jesus, they were out to get him. And uh, they're the ones that had, arrest, had him arrested. They're the ones that convinced Pilate to crucify him. Uh, they could not crucify him themselves, but they convinced the Romans to. So, so the Jewish leaders were there at the cross, and, and surely Jesus was praying for them. Father, forgive them. They, they don't know what they do. The Romans were there. They were the ones that were actually doing the crucifixion. They were the ones that actually drove the nails into his hands. They were the ones that actually lifted him up on the cross and set him in the ground. Uh, they were the ones that were in charge of his death. And uh, they did not know what they do, that's for sure. And, and, and surely he was praying for them. They had all offended Jesus terribly. They had all sinned against him and treated him cruelly. But, but surely Jesus was praying for, for that group. But you know, when, when you go a little bit deeper and you ask that question, who was responsible for the death of Jesus? There's actually a lot more you could add to that list. Who is responsible for the death of, G, of Jesus? Well, if you go to Acts, in Acts chapter 4, you have this um, prayer. and It's a great prayer. It's one of my favorite prayers in the Bible. And it's a prayer after Peter and John were arrested and persecuted for preaching the gospel. Then they were released, and they said, we're going to preach the gospel anyway, even though they told us not to. And, uh, and they had a little prayer meeting after they were released. And this is, this is their prayer, and they prayed about Jesus. So, so they had just been arrested. They'd been persecuted for preaching Jesus. And basically they were praying, and they were saying, I'm not surprised that we're persecuted because we follow Jesus. And look what they did to Jesus. They arrested Jesus and mistreated him and persecuted him. And so I'm sure they're going to do that to us too. So this is their prayer. Truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before you to be done. So this mentions our two groups. The Gentiles, that's the Romans who were doing the crucifying, the people of Israel, that's the Jewish leaders who had him crucified. But it also mentions some more. It mentions Herod and Pilate. Pilate's the one that gave the orders. Uh, Pilate's the one that allowed the crucifixion to go forward. Uh, Herod, uh, he's the one that sent Jesus back. Herod could have released Jesus, but he sent him back to Pontius Pilate. And uh, so either one of these men are culpable for the death of Jesus. Who is responsible for the death of Jesus? Yes, the Jewish leaders were. Yes, the Romans were. Yes, Herod was. Yes, Pontius Pilate was responsible for Jesus' death. But if you look uh, even closer at this, at this verse, you'll see somebody else is responsible too. At the very end, it says, whatever your hand. Je Jesus uh, was praying to God the Father on the cross, but God the Father is the one whose hand had... had who's had and determined this before, before the foundation of the world. It was God's plan. Now, that's what it says here. So, so God is responsible for Jesus' death because God sent Jesus into the world to die. It was part of God's plan. And if you dig a little bit deeper, uh, who is responsible for putting Jesus on the cross? Well, God is the one who planned it. Uh, the, the Jews are the one that got everybody riled up. The Romans are the ones that actually did it. Pontius Pilate is the one that actually gave the order. Um, 
Judas is the one that betrayed him and sold him for 30 pieces of silver. We can blame him. We can point a finger at him. But, but ultimately, we're going to also have to point the finger at ourselves, too. It was our sin. Our sin put Jesus on the cross because we needed a Savior. Jesus died for our sin on our behalf. So, so we are culpable. We are accountable for Jesus' death. Our sin took Jesus to the cross. And so when, when you start asking questions like that, it, there's a lot involved in that question. Surely the, the two groups that, that were there at the cross that he was talking to were the, the Jewish leaders and the Romans. Those were the, the direct ones that he was praying for at that time. But you could stretch that net out, and there's a lot of other people that you could add to uh, ask that question, why was Jesus crucified? Who was responsible for his death? And, and ultimately, it was God that was responsible for his death, but God... Uh, is, is, the, is the one who he's praying to and asking for forgiveness. So, so that is the, the object of forgiveness. He's praying to God, asking forgiveness for those who had wronged him so terribly and treated him so unfairly. Specifically, uh, the, the Romans and the Jewish leaders, but you could broaden that to, to others as well. So that's the necessity of forgiveness, the object of forgiveness Let's look at the, the nature of forgiveness. Uh, what does it mean to forgive? Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Forgive them, for they do not know what they do. What, what does that mean? Now, again, that's one of those words that we all know. We all know what forgive means, and we all understand the concept of forgiveness. But, but then, when you, again, when you start digging a little bit deeper, it raises some more questions about what forgiveness means. What was it that God was praying uh, or that Jesus was praying to God for here? What, what was it? What was his request that he was asking? Did he just want the father to forgive them and say, oh, it's all right. You'll, have, you'll suffer no consequences for what you've done. I'm just going to let it go this time. Is that what Jesus was praying? That God would just let it go and not punish the evildoers that were doing this to him? Because we know that, that ultimately there is no forgiveness without salvation. You cannot be forgiven unless you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You cannot put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ unless you repent from your sin. You repent from your sin and put your faith in Christ. It's the same thing. It's describing the same action. Uh, repentance is required for forgiveness because repentance is part of faith. It's part of believing. You don't really believe in God if you're not repenting of your sin. And so ultimately you cannot be forgiven eternally forgiven until you come to salvation in Christ, until you believe Jesus. So, so what does it mean to forgive? What was Jesus asking for here? Was he asking that, that all these people be saved so they can be forgiven? Because they can't really be forgiven unless they're saved, unless they come to repentance and faith in Christ. So what was he, was he asking for? Well, this is a reminder that there are at least a couple of different levels of forgiveness or different kinds of forgiveness and that this is, this is taught in the scripture, that there's, there's different ways to view forgiveness and there's different ways that we need to forgive. As Christians, there's different ways that we forgive others. So this is kind of a review because we, we had a message on this a few years ago. If you were here a few years ago, you might remember this. But just by way of review, let's, let's look at some of these things. There's a verse in Luke 17 that talks about forgiveness. Luke 17, 3. It says, uh, take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, somebody offends you, somebody sins against you, 
you rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. All right, this is a type of forgiveness here. And it's this is the horizontal type of forgiveness. This is the relational type of forgiveness between me and you. If you offend me, then I have to confront you, rebuke you, and uh, then you uh, should repent for, hurt, for hurting me, sinning against me, and then I have the responsibility to forgive you, to forgive you as though you had done nothing wrong. We, we are restored in our relationship. Um, I will never hold that against you again. We can go on and be friends and have a, a close relationship with nothing in between us. That's, that's the highest kind of, of forgiveness, the best kind of forgiveness that, that we can experience where there is complete resolution, where we, we all did the right thing. You sinned at first, but then after you sinned, then you did the right thing. I came to you and said, hey, that hurt me. You repent and I forgive. We're both doing the things that we're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to repent. I'm supposed to forgive. And uh, it works. And the relationship is restored. And we can go on as though nothing had happened. Uh, that's one type of forgiveness. But there is another type of forgiveness. Uh, this is in Mark 11. It says, whenever you stand praying. So this is more of a vertical forgiveness. This is between me and God. This is my private time when, it, when I'm just praying to God. And there's no personal relationship horizontally. But it's just me and God vertically. Uh, if you stand praying and if you have anything against anyone, there's something in your heart. There's something that's bothering your thought process as you're praying and, and you're trying to focus on God, but you just can't focus on God because you keep remembering uh, that person that hurt you. So when you do that, forgive him that your father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. It says forgive him. It doesn't say go confront him. It doesn't say he has to repent. If he repents, then forgive him. It doesn't say any of that. It doesn't say go rebuke him. It doesn't say for him to repent. It just says as you're there personally, just you and God in your private time, let it go. Forgive. That the relationship is not restored. There's no repentance there. Uh, you can't go on pretending nothing happened because there's no restoration, there's no uh, repentance, there's no forgiveness uh, horizontally there, but, 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 but you let it go, you leave it in God's hands, uh, because if you don't, you're going to suffer the consequences. If you don't, there's going to be bitterness, there's going to be sorrow, there's going to be anger, it's just going to fester and get worse and worse and worse. And even if the other person never ever repents, even if they continue being evil, uh, you just you let it go and you forgive them in your heart so it doesn't turn into bitterness. You see the two different kinds of forgiveness there? Uh, one is relation, relational and horizontal, and then everything is restored and forgiven and put behind you. The other is what I have to do in my own heart between me and God to, um, to just let the bitterness go and to forgive, no matter what the other person does. If the other person persists, if they still hurt me and, and continue to hurt me, it doesn't matter. I've forgiven them and I've let it go. And uh, But you, you look at those two different types of forgiveness and, and which one was, was Jesus praying for. Well, in a sense, God does both of those too. In a sense, there's this general forgiveness of God. There's this blanket forgiveness of God. Because Jesus died on the cross, because Jesus paid for our sins, 
Uh, God has what, what we, we call it mercy. God has mercy. Without mercy, uh, God would just automatically, immediately judge every sin you ever committed. Every, every time you commit a sin, you know, you just cast directly into hell. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Just go straight to the pit and receive your eternal reward. Uh, that's what God could do. God should do and would be just in doing so, would be fair in doing so. But God doesn't do that because he has this general blanket forgiveness that God treats everybody more fairly than they deserve to be treated. That God forgives everybody in a, in a way that they don't deserve to be forgiven, even the, even the lost sinners. In fact, sometimes he treats the lost sinners better because he knows the lost sinners are going to be punished for all eternity, so they might as well have a decent life now, you know. So he treats them even better. Now, that's the, the general grace, the general mercy of God, the general forgiveness of God. Uh, that's more of the, the Mark 11 type of forgiveness where you just forgive in your heart, uh, even regardless of what the other person does. But God also has this ultimate, this highest form of forgiveness where the relationship is restored and all the sin is forgiven. But that only comes to those who believe. That only comes to those who accept Christ as their Savior, repent of their sins, accept Christ as your Savior, and then your sins are removed from you. The burden is lifted. Your, your sins are cast into the deepest sea, never to be recalled again. Your sin is separated from you as far as the east is from the west. Your sin is removed. God forgives completely, and your relationship to God is restored. And God treats you as though you had never sinned. And in fact, God treats you as though you have all the righteousness of his own son, that you have all the righteousness of Jesus. That is that highest form of forgiveness. But that comes only to those who believe. So, so what was Jesus praying for on the cross? I think he was praying for, for both of those. That, yes, Father... Don't zap these guys right now. I know you want to. I know you want to send a lightning bolt down and zap them right now. I know you want to send a host of angels to come and, and get them all and give them what they deserve and cast them straight into the abyss. Uh, I know that would be just. I know that would be fair. I know that would be right. I know that's what they deserve. But he's praying for the general mercy of God, for the general grace of God. I think he's also praying for their salvation. Maybe some of them will repent. Maybe some of them will come to know Jesus as their Savior. And you know, if you look at the Scriptures, I think that happened. I think, I think God heard his prayer on the cross, and God saved some of these wicked people who were torturing his own son were saved and forgiven. Let's look at some of the, the Scriptures. Matthew 27, the centurion and those with him, the other Roman soldiers with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake. They saw the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. Do you think the centurion got saved? It could be. Maybe this was uh, an expression of faith in God. He saw what was going on, and he said, this is the Savior. This is the Messiah. And uh, there are some uh, ancient traditions that say the centurion got saved and was part of the early church. Imagine that. We get to heaven, and we spend all eternity with the guy that killed Jesus, with the guy that crucified our Savior. And Jesus loves him, and Jesus died for him, and Jesus prayed for him on the cross, and Jesus saved him, and Jesus brought him to heaven and, and gave him eternal life. 
If this is an affirmation of his faith in Christ, then the centurion is saved and will spend all eternity with him. Later on in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 6, it says the word of God spread. The number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were obedient to faith. Remember those two groups standing there by the cross? You had the, the Jewish leaders and you had the, the Gentile Romans there. Well, the Romans, some of them got saved. The, the centurion and those who were with him might have been saved. We know that many of the priests were saved. The Jewish leaders were coming to Christ, were joining the church. The ones who had plotted against him. Maybe they were not the ones directly involved, but they were part of that group. They were part of the group that was plotting against Jesus and led to his death. And when we get to heaven, there will fellowship with the priests. The priests who sent Jesus to his death are saved and forgiven because Jesus died for them on the cross. And Jesus prayed for them. And Jesus prayed that the Father would forgive them. So I think, I think both of these forgivenesses were there at the cross. That, that uh, Jesus was praying and God said, okay, I won't zap them right now, even though they deserve it. I, I won't send them straight to the abyss now, even though that's what they need. And also some of them will get saved and some of them will be forgiven forever and ever and ever. They'll be saved and spend eternity with the Christ that they crucified. That is real forgiveness. And that's why Jesus was on the cross. And that's why this is the first word that he uttered from the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Let's close with a word of prayer.